The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Discretion is advised. Robin, are you from Houston? Originally, I'm from California, but Where? I've been here for a long time. I was born in Los Angeles, and okay. I moved from Paradise. So, good thing we moved. But paradise. We're talking Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. No. No. The area outside. The northern. Oh, northern that area. Part. The area. But there was a fire. Yeah, right. I'm not there anymore. The campfire area. <laughs> yeah. It used to be a great share, and then now it's like, oh. you know. Uh, but no, Houston's so strong. Like I love living in a diverse city. Um, and the more we get, it, get excited about that, the more I get excited about living here. But there's just so many resources that I don't really know where there's a better place, honestly. I agree, and the it's the diversity, but also I don't care what you say. Do I need to be speaking closer? No, grab the base of your mic and rotate it clockwise just a little bit. Grab the base. There we go. Now, now you're talking at it. Is that better? Yeah. Um, yeah. But the traffic, as terrible as it is, uh-huh. it's still better than L.A. Oh yeah, hands down, <laughs> hands down. It only takes us thirty to or, or D.C. It's, it's better than D.C. It's better than L.A. It's better than Boston. It's better than Washington D.C. And in the winter, it's a whole lot better than Chicago. Yep, yeah. yep. It's yeah, just, no, it's, our summers. It's not that bad. It's really not. In fact, I, I recommend that people travel and try oh, it. Okay, like, now that we've talked for two hours, yeah. should we start? Well, I mean, haven't we started? I didn't think I didn't do my start that I have to do that well, Kristen would normally do. Let's let you do your start oh, okay. that Kristen so would we'll normally do. do. <laughs> so hey, keep everybody. us in line. Oops, we're going to start that again. Oops. Hey, everybody. This is Alexis, and this is the Trans Advocate Podcast. Today we have with us Rob Mack, who's one of our regulars, and we have a special guest, Abby Kamen. Woo-hoo. And what is Abby doing these days? I am running for Houston City Council District C. How is everyone running for Houston City Council? It seems like everyone I talk to is. It feels like that. I think there are over 100 people running for city council right now, which I think is a great thing. We're seeing much more engagement on the city level. I think we're seeing that across the country. There's mm-hmm. a lot more attention. But the reason city council is so important is it ha- city government has the biggest impact on people's day-to-day lives. Like what? Like what are some of the things that you can impact Well, whether it's your trash and recycling pickup, which as Houstonians, we have had a lot of issues with recently, but it's also an opportunity to tackle flooding. Mm -hmm. We are at a critical juncture for the city. Mm -hmm. Uh, I firmly believe in climate change. Mm -hmm. Yes, science is real. There are facts. (laughs) And Houston should be at the forefront of leading that charge. We experienced catastrophic damage during Harvey. Yep. And we're also the energy capital of the world, pretty much. So there are tremendous opportunities to lead in the business community. uh, And there's a lot going on. And is that something that you're going to get behind for when you win? Absolutely. So we have put out a very strong uh, climate change and flood policy. So everything from, and I should start off by saying in our district, it's some of the most heavily impacted areas in the city. Okay. And it's not just Harvey, it's the Memorial Day flood and the tax day flood. Right. We have a lot of different seasons where we can get reflooded. Multiple mm-hmm. times. And, and your district is District C, which is where we're sitting right now because you're running in my district. Well, she's in your district. <laughs> the best so, district. So, so I'm, yeah. I'm personally very interested. We had Isabel in, and I'm in District H and, and, and Alexis says, is this intentional? I was like, yes. Yeah. 
so, so where does C go? So C is basically a, a reverse C across the 610 loop. And for those listening outside of Houston, basically we have two major loops right now, and that's the inner loop. But for Houstonians, it's north of 610 Garden Oaks Oak Forest, Greater Heights, Washington Avenue Corridor, and Memorial Park, mm-hmm. which is... I think all Houstonians love and cherish Memorial Park. Montrose, Uh it goes all the way up the 59 Spur. Okay. Up Main to the Bayou. So it encompasses University Place, Rice University. Right. Then it follows the Bayou all the way into Meyerland. Okay. So and some of those places get hit during the different seasons. Well, and we have yeah. family members. We have friends that are still trying to recover. A lot of the Absolutely. home elevations we're seeing now mm-hmm. are not home elevations from Harvey. That's from previous floods. We haven't right. even... We've just now, two years later, a few weeks ago was the anniversary of Harvey. Mm -hmm. Two years later, we're just starting to get the FEMA reimbursement money Mm -hmm. that the city needs to Mm -hmm. move forward. And that means that in the meantime, all of the infrastructure and other capital improvement projects that were slated prior to Harvey Mm -hmm. have been on hold. So there's a lot of infrastructure that we need to be looking at for the city right now. And your comprehensive plan or or extensive plan that you were talking about are these all things that the city can actually do or is this stuff that a lot of it's going to have to be worked with the county and state and federal government it's a good question it's both the city needs to be taking steps on its own and i have been proposing things that the city itself can be doing right Mm -hmm. now but we also need to be working very closely with other levels of government for example district c has three of the major bayous in it why White Oak Bayou, Buffalo Bayou, Braze Bayou. So when you talk about District H mm-hmm. or A or K, District C has a tremendous impact on surrounding areas. It does. And I would say that other districts have an impact on C. So we all need yes. to be working together around the horseshoe at City Hall. But we also need to be working with other levels of government. Project Braze in the greater Meyerland area, mm-hmm. which again was one of the most hard hit, has actually been on the books for over a decade. Wow. And, and I know some of the sewage and stuff is pressing also, depending on how you look at the layers of construction and piping and draining that needs to be done. The city just settled a over, t- I think it's now 10 years, Alexis, you may know, 10-year lawsuit with the EPA. They finally did a settlement agreement. It's actually a pretty good deal for the city, but it's a couple billion dollars it's still be a to lot settle. Of work. It's a lot of work, yeah. and it's important work that needs to be sure. done. Our sewage the, and our drainage is It's the only thing outdated. I've seen where we've benefited from the current administration, perhaps. <laughs> the settlement, you mean. Yes. We got a much better deal because I, I the EPA did. didn't. I may okay. be wrong, but okay, I really think right. we did. Okay, well, I'll take any pros at this point. I know. <laughs> it's hard to find some. So this is the first time you run for office, right? It is. I've been involved in legislative and policy affairs for years, and I've even been involved on other campaigns, but it's my first time running. Wonderful. It's a very different experience. What had you want to run? I have been looking at this. So I'm born and raised in Houston. My first day of college in New Orleans was evacuation day for the city during Katrina. Okay. And witnessing government fail at every level really propelled me to look at government differently. And my commitment has always been to make sure that government never again fails the people they're supposed to be protecting. And in New Orleans, what we saw, in addition to it being the first time that we could point on U.S. soil and say, because of climate change, this was made worse, 
people were left to die because they were poor and black. And that happened the in the U.S. watched them die. They watched them die. And when we evacuated New Orleans, I actually went to the Astrodome to help set up as the first buses came in yeah. from New Orleans. And I saw it firsthand. So that changed my life forever. Houston took in a lot of... Uh, New Orleans? How do y'all say New Orleans. New Orleans. We took in a lot of citizens that needed help. Yes. Yes. I don't care where they're from. Exactly. Yeah. And and actually, that was one of the proudest things, as far as I'm concerned, one of the things I'm most proud of Houston for doing. Because we really had no right to do that or really didn't expect a whole lot back. It's sort of like, just got to do it. Well, I I felt like it was neighborly. Like, the real idea of what you would want a neighbor space to do for you. And, you know, not, not being tacky, but one of the nice things is that not too long after that, our restaurant food in Houston improved drastically. <laughs> well, we we've been, always we benefited had a lot good food in Houston. <laughs> we have, but, but it went up but now a it's level. More it, delicious. it did, and I look at Houston as the sister city to New Orleans. Absolutely. Yeah. We drive around Greater Heights mm-hmm. and the historical areas, or even if you go down to Galveston, yeah. a lot of the architecture is very similar to New Orleans. And Mm -hmm. we, I think, have always had a very strong bond with the city. So I could not have been more proud of our city then. And I was so proud during the recovery, during Harvey as well. Right. Uh, Right. We we showed the world what Houstonians are made of. And the other, going the other direction, the Cajun Navy group came over and rescued a lot of people. Talk about, you know, the the, the tie that those two events had. I just, if you were able to watch Harvey, you know, on the news, because some people were evacuating, Mm -hmm. they didn't have that sort of blessing or curse, you know. Uh, But I remember this camera lady just being on for hours, having to sit in the water, like, you know, fill time. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the Cajun Navy came up in one of their little boats with a big fan on the back. And she's like, oh, sir, uh, what are y'all doing here? And he's like... The Cajun Navy came in, and there were a lot of Houstonians. I mean, my dad and my husband were out in canoes uh, helping people. We Mm -hmm. were... And I was actually at George R. Brown at the city's command center yes. for Harvey. And the stories yeah. were heroic, incredible. Yeah. And it's. I think we have made tremendous strides as a city, mm-hmm. but we also have a long way to go. So mm-hmm. as part of the campaign, I'm making sure that we're keeping at the forefront that people are still struggling and the reality that storms are getting worse. Right. We're seeing Dorian right now. Right. We can't yeah. just rely on the Cajun Navy to save us. Yeah. We, we have to take proactive steps to tackle climate change. And every level of government needs yeah. to be doing that. It's not just up to the federal government. And they're not acting right now on a, a slew of things, right. uh, which I'm sure we'll get more into. It's not, <laughs> gonna, into it's not happening at the state level. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the city can really be leading the way on this. Well, that's it's a great, you know, that's one of the topics we've talked about, too, is how can the city influence government at a, at a large by leading at an example. If you have ideas for that, we can talk about and, that. Well, so. and one of the things I hear frequently is people are like, well, it's a city. There's not much we can do. But we're one of the largest voting groups in the country, let alone the state. And if we can't influence the state. We have tremendous resources at our disposal. We are hampered by the revenue cap currently. But what would you do about that? So it's up to the voters at this point, and we have to remember that the state just passed its own revenue cap. I think that the city needs to be on par with the state law. That will at least allow us a little bit more flexibility, but again, that's up to the voters. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
and we have to respect that. There are other ways to get creative, though. So I serve on the Mayor's Commission Against Gun Violence. Okay. I introduced proposals how to close the gun show loophole within the city limits because the state's not going to act. And all right. that would need to change, it's a contract clause. Okay. It's language in the contracts that the city does on city property with gun vendors for gun shows to require background checks. And there's actually a lot of support for this, not just gun owners supporting background checks, but gun vendors also support this as well. All it means is somebody can't come onto the floor of the convention with, let's say an assault rifle and exchange it with somebody else on the floor. They need to do the purchase through a background check system through the vendors Okay. So that's one thing we can be doing. There's a lot of other things as well on gun violence. And the nice thing about that approach is it's much more difficult to challenge because it's a contract. You can either sign it or not, and you can participate or not. Exactly. Well, and I hear a lot of people getting lost in the fight, especially because we just had another mass shooting in Texas. And, um, you know, of course, it causes a slew of fights, but I don't hear a lot about uh, the loopholes and I don't hear a lot about what like the fix it's and that they're actually willing to do it as, as a vendor. That's pretty amazing. Cause they get a bad rap, you know, obviously selling guns, but, but, um, that, but that's great that they're willing to actually work with things. It's about building coalitions and getting input mm-hmm. and then crafting policy based on that. I think that there are issues that as a city, we have to take a stand on whether that's equal rights gun violence, climate change, there are a few of those. And at the same time, we have to continue to focus on the needs of constituents. It's about constituent services and making sure that Houstonians are getting the services that they're already paying for. Sure. So background-wise, you're a lawyer, right? I am. (laughs) I was going to say, what do you do when you're not campaigning? (laughs) No, I wanted to make sure I was right about that. But what kind of law did you practice recently? I'm a civil rights attorney. We also did general civil litigation, but my background's in voting rights and civil rights. So I would <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to law school in DC, and at that same time, the Supreme Court struck down a core part of the Voting Rights Act, mm-hmm. which, in addition to the Civil Rights Act, is the core of civil rights protections in this country. Yeah, used to be. Used to be until Congress. <laughs> Can act. I feel like that's a running theme. Congress right. isn't going to. Right. 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 It, hopefully, the next election will make that drastically better. So, so as a civil rights attorney, how do we get protections similar to Hero? I personally don't think we should ever use that word again because I think you know it, it's sort of cursed at this point in time. But how do we get the civil rights protections into the city so that they'll stay? So the next time that an equal rights ordinance can come up is 2021. So that'll be in the next term of city council. I'm committed to making sure that we stop at nothing to get it passed. It has to get passed, especially in the face of the federal government's attempts to discriminate currently. We're losing protections on the federal level, and that is why it's so important that each city also pass protections. I think there's a lot of extraordinary work that's happening on the ground already. So organizations and coalitions like Transform Houston are literally going door to door in areas that traditionally may have opposed an equal rights ordinance to start breaking down the misconceptions about it, that it absolutely protects uh, 
trans people and gay people and others, but also that it protects pregnant women, that it Mm -hmm. protects veterans, Mm -hmm. that it protects uh, against housing discrimination. There's a lot of protections in there that benefit everyone. And we have to do a better job of building those bridges now and laying the groundwork so that when the time is ripe, we can put it back on the ballot. Yeah, a lot of people didn't even know how many people it would protect. You know, a lot of people didn't know that race is still the number one discrimination thing that happens in Houston. And I just thought to myself, even if all the vets alone showed up, we'd be fine, Mm -hmm. you know, because we have a large vet base. But, I mean, they weren't ever ever mentioned. They were hardly even acknowledged. Well, in the uh, media publications of all of the anti-trans uh, ads right. is all everyone remembers. And we've talked to a lot of people about that. And, and, you know, they weren't true. And the problem is that they saturated the media with it. And that's what everyone thought it was. Well, I think there's a lot of misconceptions and people don't realize how discrimination against one group can impact them as well. So for example, when I was working at the state legislature two sessions ago and we saw the first what I think is the first iteration of a sincerely held religious beliefs bill. And it came through the committee I was a director of house human services when we were addressing the foster care crisis and this bill came up and I did everything we could to fight it. Eventually it went through a separate committee and passed, but it allows for discrimination on the basis of religious beliefs. And That doesn't just impact same-sex couples that Mm -hmm. want to adopt or foster. We actually saw in the Carolinas, Jewish families turned away from agencies because they didn't hold the same faith as a certain uh, Christian denomination that tended to be a little bit more, um, I don't want to say extreme, but... sure. In this case, it was extreme, and they were turning and they were turning away other families of Christian faith who did not follow their particular sect of Christianity. Had to be their particular one. Yeah, and and I'm sort of waiting for that to be uh, turned around on some people because if it requires a sincerely held religious belief, and if let's say I'm in office and it's okay if I do that, then. I actually do not think that white supremacists and extreme right-wing people should be allowed to vote. Uh, And and it's a pretty sincerely held belief that is as close to religious as I get. So, you know, I'm waiting for that to happen at some point, and it'll be humorous to watch the outcry from the side that wanted it. It's... It's a tricky subject. I firmly believe, I learned this when I was at the ADL and Anti-Defamation League, and I there's a term that they would say that the first amendment is used as a shield to protect people, not a sword to hurt people. And we're starting to lose sight of that. I think in a lot of realms. And and I think that's exactly what's happening. It's being turned into a weapon instead of a shield. Exactly. So what other areas would you like to talk about or cover in your campaign? I know we, as a civil rights attorney, I have rolled out extensive, civil rights policy. The one thing I've been surprised at is in addition to supporting, sorry, Alexis, we'll say hero until we come up with a better term, but (laughs) a city ordinance, right? Yeah. Hero 2.0. Every city kind of wants one. So yeah, yeah. it, 
we need to ban conversion therapy within the city limits for minors. I mean, why stop uh, with the city? <laughs> Let's do the state. We, we should do it, the period. state. Yeah. But what can the city do? Gotcha. Right. Within the city limits. Within the city limits. And okay. I have how, not heard how other can you candidates do that through talking. churches, though? Like, because that's what I hear is like, well, you could do that, but then churches still do it. They do, and they're not necessarily licensed, but okay. there are certain tools that we can do, and let's at least get something on the books. Yeah. Let's not not talk about the issue because right. it's so detrimental to mental health yeah, for our youth, yeah. and we have a tremendous issue just with mental health yep. for our LGBT youth yep. as it is, and yep. homelessness, and we need to be addressing all of those issues to the best of our ability right now. We agree. <laughs> I was going to say, you aren't going to get any disagreement right. from this group. I'm just, I mean, I'm just, uh, but it, it, it's important to talk about because I am saddened. I'm not surprised. I'm saddened by how many people don't know that that still is going on. You know, um, some people feel like they won over Exodus, that they won over some of the bigger groups that were doing it. But I mean, they don't, they're not aware that that, that still happens even in our backyards. There's a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. I think oh, there's a lot of education that needs to be done. I think making residents aware of what is happening and the detrimental effects of it alone could make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And that goes also to combating stigma. We have to deal, even as the most diverse city in the country, and I love our city. Mm-hmm. Robin, we were just talking about right. earlier the how much we of love Houston. Yeah. And we need to continue to break down barriers. Right. right. It's it's one thing to have the diversity, but it's a whole other thing to build bridges to, you know, have the communities interact with one another. Like, we can be awfully spread out even just because of this, the mileage that Houston covers. A lot of people don't know that we, we claim Galveston, we claim Beaumont, we claim the Woodlands, we claim Humble. You know, if there's a storm happening in Katy, my grandma in California is going to call and say, are you all right? And I'm like, I'm nowhere near there. I'm fine. Saying, you it's know? sunny outside. We haven't and seen it, a cloud. It's, it's raining somewhere. There's, you know? In our district alone, over 211,000 people. I think the next census will show. Everybody do the census. It's really important. <laughs> I think we'll if see. If you need a job, they're understaffed. <laughs> they're trying they're to hire. Yeah, and, and, and I will say that I had a very nice, very well-informed pre-census verifier show up at my door who was verifying address and that Good. it was a single-family home, et cetera. Good. Um, I knew most of the answers, but asked all the questions because I was curious, and she had it down pat. Nice. Uh, well, I, I always job. thank our <laughs> census workers. I'm yeah. on the campaign trail. I have been block walking a in hundred plus degree weather. Yeah. That's a lot of heat. A lot of heat, but they're out there with me. I've yeah. seen, like you said, Alexis, Alex, uh, census trackers mm-hmm. that are out there right now in the heat. And it's so important to our communities because that's, it's not just for the Electoral College, right. and districts. It's also about federal funding. Mm-hmm. What resources we as a city and a state get. And I really think a lot of the current administration's actions and activities are going to serve to suppress counting people who may not be documented, et cetera. And I, I, that's the part that really concerns me because they're setting it up so that if a U.S. government employee knocks on your door, it's not going to be answered. Well, the harm has already been done. So even though the Supreme Court struck down the citizenship question, the fear exactly. in the climate yeah. is it's doing the there. harm. And 
that's why and on, on top of that the state is not putting money towards the count mm-hmm. no the it's, current state administration doesn't want it counted it's that way falling on cities so again another that's city tough. role yeah. and responsibility and right. it's the city needs to pay mm-hmm. for that. I think it'll benefit us in the long run. It's mm-hmm. going to pay for itself because right. of the dollars that you get from mm-hmm. the census count. Mm-hmm. But the city's having to pay for that. Mm-hmm. Again, it's something you wouldn't normally think the city needs to be dealing right. with that does actually now fall under the purview of the city. Yeah, and I think the county is doing some things there too, which is good. Yes. And hopefully they'll be coordinated. Uh, yeah. There's could, a lot of coordination that is happening with the county, and there's a lot more that can be done between the city and the county. I've proposed a, a disparity study. So city of Houston residents pay county taxes as well. Mm-hmm. Are, are we unfairly subsidizing suburban growth? Are we getting enough of those county dollars being invested back into our city. That's something we need to be looking at because mm-hmm. whether it's the potholes, the congestion, the flooding, yep. there's a lot of work that needs to be done in Houston. We can't just keep doing property tax. Like there's got to be something else. Yeah. Well, the nice thing is the revenue cap says they don't go up all that much. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice from my side, but then the yeah. city doesn't have the money. Right. You know, one of the things you mentioned earlier were some of the homeless problems. Um, comment on that. Do you have any thoughts about what we should do about it? I think our city's already on the right track. For a lot of district residents, they don't feel that way. We ha- We still continue to have a homeless situation that we need to be addressing but in the previous years we've actually reduced the homeless population i think a new report just came out by 50 percent several years ago we pretty much got our veteran homeless population down to zero okay so things are working okay we need to be doing more of that i support housing first models Mm -hmm. so shelter models cost a lot more money per person per year housing first models get individuals into housing first and then the wraparound services come in and it stabilizes everything but we need more housing Uh and we need to find we need to make sure as a community as a houston community we are accepting of housing centers for homeless and supporting that we also as a city we're supposed to have a no basically a shelter that was no restrictions Uh they weren't going to check you know, drug use, they weren't going to say turn you away for any reason. IDs, that yeah. was supposed to be on emancipation. Well, guess what ended up going on emancipation? The city lost the bid on that contract. Drum roll. <laughs> An immigrant child detention center brought to you by Southwest Key. Hmm. What a lovely other topic we just went into. Yes. So I was one of the only attorneys actually that went into a child detention center here in Houston owned by Southwest Key off of 45. Okay. Interviewed them. And after that, it was another just life-changing experience, what I witnessed in there. And I, to this day, keep a list of the children's names Okay. with me and fought very hard and succeeded in getting some of them out, not nearly enough of them out of there. But it's happening here in Houston. We have detention centers, all immigrant detention centers all over the city and the county. 
And that's not necessarily the city's fault. And I, I do support the fact that our city and our mayor stood up against SB4, the Show Me Your Papers law, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and joined other we had cities. a few SBs going on. There's it, a lot of SBs. <laughs> and if if it wasn't a trans issue, it was a documentation issue in some way, shape, or form. And then we all just sort of tried to band together. But we, we hated the SBs for a while. Uh, we have SB22 yeah. <laughs> that just went to an effect, uh, banning cities from specifically working with Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. When Planned Parenthood during Harvey was providing some of the most vital yes. health testing and resources, yes. including for trans people. Oh, absolutely. It, you know, the work of Planned Parenthood is critical. Zika testing, mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. And the state's trying to prohibit Which was our amount of mosquitoes. We, <laughs> we need that. Oh, I can show you. I have so many mosquito bites just from block walking. They're, they're literally... They're I randomly in. listened to a, a a thing on public radio about uh, how many different mosquitoes Houston has because people were doing a bunch of Zika sprays and stuff and and they were saying there's actually a few that that may carry this because we have like 56 different kinds of mosquitoes. So that, that's wow, so, that's so if you treat for one kind, right? That's what they're saying. Five more to get you. Yeah, <laughs> so that's not lightly, but. Um, so you're impacting a lot of different um, areas, a lot of different people, a lot of different labels. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's there's a few questions I would have is, you know, if you want to share how, how you identify just so people get to know you more, then that's, that's awesome. But I think we all have a similar heart on this podcast of advocacy where we want to be there for all people all mm-hmm. at once. And um, I often ask people, how do you deal with fatigue and, and sting and the marathon, not just the sprint race, right? So anything that you would love to share, I think we can all take some things away from. Self-care is very important. I feel very hypocritical saying that as someone that's on the well, campaign well, what trail does that now look 24-7. Like? What is that? It's, a very, it's, a, it's a very easy hashtag, but it's not that easy to implement in your life. So what, is, what does that look like for you? Or what are some of the things that you do for yourself? First and foremost, having a support group around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family and my husband could not be more supportive of me. And Good. it literally comes down to... Matt getting meals ready for dinner because I'm at an event and won't have time to. Those little things that add up make the biggest difference in the world. I literally, in my calendar though, block out sleep. Mm -hmm. So I have time where it's set to sleep. Sometimes I don't always make it, but I put in my calendar things like eating and sleeping or hang out couch TV time. Those little things. Now- I think we're starting to get... People are afraid to schedule that. It's like, no, schedule that. And that's when it gets in. You have to. Yeah. Again, not perfect, but I do what I can. And again, having that support system around you to kind of check in and say, hey, are you, Mm -hmm. you know, sleeping enough? What do you need? Those types of things. It, we are getting down to the sprint, though. Yeah. Part of the the marathon. 60 days until the election. Yeah. And it's going to get tougher and tougher. It is. We're we're doing multiple events a night. During the day, it's block walking in a hundred plus degrees. It's tough. We uh, we ask sometimes we ask people on the podcast like, "What are your 
um, negotiables. Like, like what are you, you know, no matter how great of a heart you have, if you get elected, like you're going to have to trade off some things. Right. And for you, it sounds like possibly sleep going into it. <laughs> like, well, I'll make up for it later, but also there's that day one activity that you're going to probably get to. So yeah, luckily yeah. I've had a lot of training. I have been involved. It's never been a nine to five career for me. It's working during the day at night, going to different programs, events. I serve on multiple boards of different organizations. And whenever there's a fight to be had, her face is like really lit up right now. Like, (laughs) let me in the ring. Like, okay, yeah, that's an an unlimited source of energy these days. It's amazing what adrenaline will do. No, that's great. But fatigue, I think for a lot of people, is very real right now. Oh, absolutely. You brought up Odessa Mm -hmm. Midland. Before Mm -hmm. that, it was El Paso. We're Mm -hmm. seeing a lot happening in the country and a lot more people engaged. Yeah. But in the dawn and age of social media, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to tune out. Right. Right. And, and an awful lot of it, too, is you're having to spend a lot of time deciding what you need to defend against. So, so you can't just go through and say, I'll see if this is something that really matters enough to me where I'll engage. There's so many weird nuanced things coming out uh, of the current administration uh, when the state legislature was in session coming out there. You have to be almost hyper aware of everything because otherwise something will slip through that is really not something you want to allow to slip through without challenging it. Yeah. And you can be aware, you can filter your articles, all this other stuff, but I have a lot of people, myself included, where, you know, they're just a bunch of care bears, and they're willing to go out there and do whatever it takes. You mentioned detainment centers, you know, like, it. I don't really know what there is that people can really do. You know, like, the average, I'm reading something on Facebook, I care sort of person, you know, but they're saturated with the hooks that get put in these articles some of it's true some of it's not and then there's fights da 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 but like what would really make a difference in this situation as somebody who knows where the centers are at went in and talked like it's it some of these things have been there for a really long time and it's not going to go away overnight how do you tell what the real actions are to do my i firmly believe the call of call to action right now in texas at least is to call out Governor Abbott in the state for allowing these facilities to be licensed. Okay. Many of these facilities are licensed by the Department of Health and Human Services of the state of Texas. Not enough people are talking about that okay. right now. Mm-hmm. And we need to hold the state accountable okay. for what they are allowing to happen on their watch. Mm-hmm. That's going to be an important narrative moving forward that has not gain traction Mm -hmm. because it's really easy to say this center or this detention facility is in this city or in this county the county needs to act Uh i think certain jurisdictions are there's more that can be done but i have not heard any conversation about 
the state itself licensing these facilities. Right. I mean, the majority of things I've heard is we'll wait for the government, we'll wait for the federal government to pass something. Like, well, they're committed to not doing a lot right now. That's going to be a while. Well, these aren't federal facilities. They're contract facilities, which means that the care of the people in there actually belongs to the state, county, or city someplace. Because it, A lot of them are in the, it, in the child detention centers are run... Under child care facility licenses, okay, that fall under the scope of the state. Okay, that is something that needs to be talked about right now. Mm-hmm. Now, the federal government could set up and has in certain places their own facilities on federal property. Okay, right. That and that's the different. state doesn't that's have different. control over. But the by and large, these facilities are being licensed by the state of Texas right now. That clarity is so important. There, I mean, there's. There's GoFundMe's, there's money initiatives, there's there's people gathering in different ways, but, and I, I love them. I'm never going to detract away from that, but I've just, I often wonder like, well, is that the solution? Is that the one that will make a difference? Like, and what difference is there to be made, honestly? Like, like what can we actually do if we were doing the work? You know, what would it look like? So magically speaking, because he's not my favorite guy, Abbott starts talking. He just decides to close down the centers. Like he decides to no longer hold the license. Is that what we would like to get done? Yes and no. It's so complicated. because okay, one maybe of it's the, just too... Well, I, I do think that the state should stop licensing the facilities. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Sure. At the same time, what happens if one center shuts down, for example... All the children get sent all over the country, so it makes it harder for advocacy groups right to keep to up with advocate people. for them. Right. I think that in Houston, Houston Immigration Legal Services Collaborative is a phenomenal umbrella organization that's brought together all the local groups. Houston Chari- Legal Services, Houston Immigration Legal Services okay. Collaborative. Okay. They're doing a lot of the work, and they still educate me. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to learn. I say we say right. shut down, shut them down, shut them down now, and they're like ah. <laughs> but then yeah. where the kids go? Right. We need to make sure that every child has sound legal representation. Right. That's not happening. No, so for attorneys, happening. if they're looking for something to do, they can volunteer through yeah. certain organizations. Ideally, they have some background or experience in immigration law. Yeah. But there's a lot that people something. can be doing on the ground, raising yeah. money, if you're talking about raising money, for immigrant defense programs. Okay. I mean, I'm amazed that we're okay with children going to court without an appointed guardian. Well, you can um, be really not okay with it, but who gets to make these decisions? It's not your average Facebook pusher. You know, it's not even your, it's not even the people who will make great signs and show up every day and walk door to door with you, is it? Like, I mean, be honest. Like, if that were the case, they would already have representation. I think that a lot of our energy, you were talking about Facebook and the Facebook fights and the sure, echo chambers yeah. that erupt, <laughs> and I'm more focused on the action. Mm-hmm. How do we take meaningful action and? push the ball forward on things. Right. So I encourage everyone to get involved with one of the organizations doing advocacy work. On the front lines. On the front lines. Yeah. Donate to them. Donate your time to them. There's an immigrant rights hotline mm-hmm. run out of, I think it's still at ACLU's office. I could be wrong. But again, through the coalition of Houston Immigration Legal Services Collaborative, okay. 
you can volunteer and get trained for the immigrant rights hotline when there are ICE raids mm-hmm. passing out information on know your rights right. in Spanish. So disseminate information that helps Works. people, not just scares people. Right. That's right. really important right now. And to be supportive and sensitive mm-hmm. to what families are going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate just getting a lot of people avoid the topic or they have they don't really have a clear answer or, you know, they're also passionate about it. But there's so many topics as a city council member that you will address. And then you obviously are aware of the state and, you know, the federal government. Like, that's really great, you know. I appreciate it. And first and foremost, as a a district member, constituent services are number one. Mm -hmm. I firmly believe that every person should have access to city government and be able to navigate the system. And what I have heard is that it's really hard for people. I'm focused on communication, making sure residents know what's happening. And if they have a problem, they know who to call and someone to walk them through. Most people want to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. They just need to know how to do that. Yeah, we were talking, I think it was with Raj when he came on, um, that, like, civilian classes, civil, I don't know. Civics. Civics. Civics classes. <laughs> Civics you know. 101. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, they're it, not really available. <laughs> it sounds funny, but one of the big things we've mentioned several times in some of our podcasts is the fact that people don't know what the different branches of government do. Right. And if you start attacking the city for something that the federal government does, you aren't going to be effective. And if you start attacking federal government for something the city does, you aren't going to be effective. I mean, you can call your U.S. representative all you want about fixing the pothole in front of your house. It's probably not going to help a lot. I talk to a lot of people that don't know what the city does right part of the campaign we've been using as a tool to educate people and it's not their fault we've not done a good job of educating people on what the city's role is and what city council does city council passes a budget and they're the legislative body Mm -hmm. of the city Mm -hmm. and then they lobby a lot (laughs) whether you like it or not a lot of it lobbying the mayor lobbying state legislature etc in my opinion it should be and it, there's limited resources at the city. So what I think, Alexis, you're referring to is fighting for those resources that the city does have to have them spent in your district. Now, I think we need to have a holistic approach. So I was saying earlier, C impacts a lot of other districts yeah. and other districts impact C. Yep. We're all in this together. One of the things that I talk a lot about is the vulnerability of the port of Houston to... Yep. Even just a Category 3 hurricane. Ike missed the ship channel by less than 40 miles. A direct hit right now. And there's a lot of work being done, but we're still not ready for it. Would not just decimate the local economy, but the national economy. And if we want to talk about environmental issues, the areas around there, predominantly minority communities those areas would be rendered unlivable. So even though I, my jurisdiction as a District C council member doesn't necessarily fall physically into the port, it matters what happens there. And we all need to be working together on those issues. I was talking with Isabel in H. There's Mm -hmm. 
stray animals are a problem around the city. <laughs> yes, in we have certain districts. Six dogs to every one human. <laughs> in certain districts, yeah. packs are a problem. Yeah. That doesn't mean that as a C council member, I'm not going to work with other council members on that. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. important. And we each have an equal vote on city council, mm-hmm. equal to the mayor. We right. need to be building those coalitions, working together and passing meaningful ordinances that make sense. How many city council members do we have? There are 16, and of the 16, only five are women. Two of those women are term limited. Ellen Cohen, who's the current council member and mayor pro tem for District C, is one of them. I'm honored to have received her endorsement, but Mm -hmm. 16 council members. So there's a lot of people to discuss every issue. (laughs) A lot of different perspectives. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, one of the things I I find interesting, because there are some people who are very much, this is my district, I don't care about anything outside my district. When you talk about things like flooding, water runs from one place to another place. It's not static and just comes down in your district. So you can't do those sorts of things as, you know, an isolated area. It, there's no talk about immigration and walls. There's no, luckily, wall between districts. What happens in one impacts the other. Be careful. Don't challenge anyone. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, the, the picture that brought in Whoa. my mind, I'm like, oh, great. Here we go again. Whoa. At least I bet our wall on our side walls, will be prettier. Walls, it's too soon. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, no walls. No, no walls. walls. No walls. Um, no, I appreciate all those connections that you're making because, yeah, there is always room to expand um, the workability that we all have, uh, that we can contribute to one another, the compassion, the, the day-to-day like support, really. It's weird when people are like, oh, well, that's not my district. Like as if y'all don't drive through each other's spaces on the 45 highway, like that's going to impact a lot of people. There's, you know, 45. It's weird. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just to name a highway, right. You know, totally (laughs) non-controversial highway. We'll we'll, we'll talk about some other highway controversies. So recently (laughs) 610 and 59 slash 69, I'm born and raised in Houston. So I'm always going to call it 59. Yeah. They're changing it to 69. It's weird. Yeah. They were shut down at the same time uh-huh. a few weekends ago. Mm-hmm. I'm sure some of our listeners not only remember this, but were extremely yeah. frustrated by it. Yeah, I that... was going west, <laughs> southwest from here at the time. Yeah, took forever. <laughs> Even though that's TxDOT, right, at the state level that did that, my view of local government is if it happens in our area, we need to make sure that we're communicating with residents so they know what's happening around them and doing what we can to advocate Mm -hmm. and work with the state to make sure they don't shut down two major freeways that connect at once. Yeah. Well, it's the city (laughs) question that I've had. I've lived in Houston a really long time. Didn't grow up here, but have lived here a really long time. And I've always had a question about, you're going to shut down the two major freeways at 610 and 59-69. That's going to cause a lot of traffic trouble. Mm-hmm. We know that. Anybody that lives in Houston knows that. Why doesn't the city take some of their mobility people and try to help the traffic problem as opposed to just saying, not ours, it's TxDOT? I think they, I don't know how to answer that only because I'm thinking of what the city is proactively doing right now. There's a lot more work to be done, but we're about to vote in November on Metro next and the bond referendum Mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. 
that's still in the works, but Houston is moving towards supporting larger public transportation infrastructure. I think that's going to be important to addressing the traffic problem as well as combating uh, climate change. When we have more cars off the road, we have less traffic and less CO2 emissions. At the same time, so on the record, I am supportive of Metro Next and the bond referendum for November. It's a moving target. I was about to ask if you have any clue what the final plan is, because I keep trying to get a copy. We don't. And we need to make sure as things move forward with it, that neighborhoods have input in the planning process. So not just town halls where they're presented, but getting more feedback from residents to make sure that it works with those neighborhoods at the same time i think we're doing some exciting things so we're going to see bus rapid transit on a much larger scale brt for short that allows the city they're going to do some rail in certain parts but with bus rapid transit you can actually move lines as needed as density changes and population needs shift So that's something creative that the city is going to be doing. I'm advocating as we invest in these buses that we use renewable and sustainable technology for the buses. Mm -hmm. Houston, again, needs to be at the forefront, not lagging behind, which Mm -hmm. we currently are. But the city is also passing, they're presenting the climate action plan for the city. That's really exciting, and we've actually put out our own version of that. You can go to abbycayman.com to look at it. Those are some of the things that I think the city is doing to help. We still need a lot more done. One of my core issues, we're about to spend billions of dollars to expand public transportation. If people cannot get there because we don't have sidewalks or the sidewalks we have are in disrepair, then it's not going to work. Right. Sidewalks are a big problem in Houston. Yeah. And... We, we really have nothing that says they have to be maintained. The homeowner responsibility program isn't working. Right. Sidewalks cost a lot of money more than I even thought. I've met with experts and I've gotten quotes on, you know, a couple hundred feet of sidewalk can cost upwards of $100,000. It's a lot of money. That's not going to work. It's not. Yeah. We need yeah. to find a new way to go about this. Metro is... working on some projects close to metro's uh bus stops Mm -hmm. if you are close to a school the city will pay for it also if you have a senior citizen or a person with a disability Mm -hmm. on your block you can also apply for city funding to have those sidewalks repaired but again the homeowner responsibility program isn't working and I'm looking at different ways to fund sidewalks for our city. We need to make sure kids can walk safely to and from school, Mm -hmm. that people with disabilities can move with ease throughout Mm -hmm. our city. Just the other day, again, another block walking story. I learned so much just talking to residents. It's incredible. But a few blocks from my home, we were driving to another part of the neighborhood a individual with a in a wheelchair mm-hmm. got out of the metro bus and was wheeling with his legs he couldn't use his arms down the middle of the street mm-hmm. 
because there were no sidewalks. Yeah. And I jumped out of the car. I went up to him. I said, can we give you a ride? Where are you going? Can I push you? And he had a trach. Uh-huh. Clearly had medical issues mm-hmm. and should not have been out in the heat wheeling himself and his feet in the middle of the street. Right. That should not be happening in Houston. Yeah, that's a really dangerous thing on a lot of levels. Yeah, there, there's one other part with the sidewalks and streets, as a matter of fact, that I've always found interesting in Houston, and that is that we go out, we build nice new sidewalks, we build great streets, we resurface them, they're wonderful, and almost immediately after that, a contractor for somebody digs them up. They'll be dug up for a very long period of time, and usually when they're replaced, there'll be a three or four inch uh, step down, step up, gap. They, They will not be the way they should be, and the city doesn't seem to do a thing about it. We need to support a culture where city workers are comfortable and empowered to enforce rules that are already on the books, whether that's with sidewalks, building lines. We're seeing a lot of development and increased density which is great. (laughs) It's a a blessing blessing and a curse. But when a builder builds over a building line, the rule should be enforced, not a wag of the finger and you're okay to not follow the rules. What generally happens is they go ahead and build it. Then after it's built, everyone's like, oh, well, we'll have to do a variance. And I'm like, no, they need to take care of it. Ah, variances, another big (laughs) issue. So... There is no zoning in Houston. The voters have turned it down multiple times. <laughs> we like to do what we want. <laughs> Welcome to Texas. Yeah. The variance process is a whole thing unto itself, and I've been looking a lot at this. One of the problems currently with variance variances is that residents don't know what's going on around them. If you live within a couple hundred feet, of where variance has been applied for, you get a letter in the mail, but you don't necessarily understand or know what that letter is saying. They've also made the signs, you know, those signs that hang on the fences bigger, but if you're driving, you can't see what it is. Most people don't know what what that is. What I have, what I'm proposing is anytime variances are slated for a vote at planning commission, there's a way that council members can get notified of that. Anything that happens in District C, if there's a variance application, I'm personally going to take responsibility for communicating those notifications to our super neighborhoods and this, possibly the civic clubs in those in that area. Mm-hmm. That's a way we can be as a city providing information to residents so that they can be informed. And if they choose to act on that, to go before planning commission and things of that nature, they can do so. Have you gone to any of the variance hearings? I've streamed a lot of them. I Until a few weeks ago, I was still working full-time as the Associate yeah. Regional Director well, of the, the Anti-Defamation the, League, but I've been monitoring and watching, and we meet with a lot of neighbors that are dealing with those specific issues right now. Yeah, the reason I ask, because there have been variances in this particular area, pretty variance requests pretty regularly. Um over the last probably six or eight years, I've been to probably 10 variance hearings. And the hearings are very interesting because you arrive, you're ready to go, and they say, staff has postponed this hearing until such and such a date mm-hmm. based on the request from the builder. I'm sitting there. It's hard, and yeah. they that's a tactic that's and used. And in one of them, four times, 
they postponed it. There were people there. There were less people each time. And I don't even know when it finally went through because, quote, well, you should have gotten a letter on the change of date. No, I didn't. Didn't happen. And my view is... Is that like the checks in the mail? Yes, very much. (laughs) And, you know, my view is if they schedule a hearing, they should have the hearing because otherwise the citizens are the ones that are being messed around. And the builder constantly requests that they delay it because they'll have nobody complaining. One of the other issues I have been told, and I can't verify this yet because I'm not in office. Please, if you're listening, help me get there. Vote for Abby. But the screens that the Planning Commission has... When it's on the consent agenda, so if you meet certain requirements, it's automatically passed. But when they're voting on it, they can't right now actually pull up the plot and land information for what they're voting on. Hmm. So even though it's on the consent agenda, they get a stack of papers weeks prior. But there, it's a lot of information mm-hmm. to sort through when you're yeah. voting on something. If you can't look at all the information specifically to that, that's a problem. Right. So there's a lot of technology-related things we're looking at. I did a tour of the 311 call center okay. for the city. First off, I just have to say how impressed I was. The amount of call volume that our city workers intake and the knowledge Mm -hmm. that it requires to be able to answer any question they get. And they get briefings every day on different changes. But I saw some employees that have worked there for over a decade, sometimes three decades. If somebody calls and just asks, oh, can you give me the number for Centerpoint or for this gas company, even though it's not within the purview of the city, they're literally giving them the information from memory sometimes. Wow. But the city's working to get there's a lot of technology that goes into 311 and sure. databases. Wow. They're working on new technology for that department as Good. well to increase things and also with trash and recycling. They're working on getting new technology so you can actually track, the city will be able to see the routes that the trucks have taken mm-hmm. if they've missed a location and things like that. Wow. Um, yeah, one of the questions I guess I have, the, the fact is that when you're elected, notice I'm assuming you're going to be elected. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't think I hide my support for people very well, do I? I don't think we need to. Oh, good. Um, you know, when you're on <laughs> city council, We're you, pretty transparent. You, you can't do everything. <laughs> Correct. That, that's a fact. So what are your top like three, four or five issues that you want to address almost immediately after, well, after January? How we communicate with constituents is a top priority for me. So making sure that we have an effective database system in place so that I'm getting proper alerts when there are issues that constituents have and that we're responding to those timely, that's a priority for me. Making sure that people are getting responses timely and efficiently and the information that they need. Flooding and infrastructure is also a top priority for me. As I mentioned earlier, parts of the district were tremendously impacted and still recovering from Harvey. We need to make sure that people have all the resources that they need to continue the recovery process. And we need to handle our infrastructure. Our streets and drainage is a top priority. And? Oh, I can keep going. (laughs) 
again, that, gun that, violence. We have to do everything we can. We are seeing mass shootings in Texas and in our city. We have to do what we can to curb gun violence here in Houston. And that means taking meaningful action to curb and solve the problem. The other, and under that, I know I talked about closing the gun show loophole. One thing that the city can also be doing, we can host an annual conference, bringing educators and school administrators together with law enforcement and some of the nonprofits to share information, to see what's working that some schools are doing, what's working that law enforcement, what type of information law enforcement needs to be able to quickly respond. What are the resources that some of our nonprofits and mental health organizations can be providing? Everyone needs to be in the same room talking. That's not happening currently. We can, as a city, be very supportive of that information sharing by doing that. And and are you talking about something that's strictly local or something like statewide, national, whatever? I think we need to start with what we can control, which is locally and hosting something like that in partnership with the county, even at George R. Brown or wherever it may be once a year, I think is a great start and will lead to other things and hopefully can be a model for other cities that are interested in doing that. One other issue I've been focused on is out of all the commissions and committees that the city has, there isn't one on women's equality and equity. I've proposed creating one and we've already started taking public input on the types of issues that committee should be looking at and who should be on that committee. Business representatives, public civil servant representatives, different age ranges, different sexual orientation should be represented. All of that we are looking at, but we need to have for the city of Houston a women's equality and equity committee. And why just women's? I mean, to me, we need an equality and equity everyone committee. That can be one too. And I think some of the great work that's being done, for example, by the mayor's LGBTQ advisory board is doing some of that work. So I've met with some of them and it turns out at the city level, there aren't a lot of employee resource groups. Okay. Which I was surprised at. That's something that the city can do pretty quickly, I would think, is making sure that city employees have resource groups. The, that's some of the work coming out of one committee that focuses, I hope, on equality and know they're doing some of that great work. Have you seen the gun the gun committee work out better? I believe so. And again, okay. that's the only one I can speak to Is from being inside and working. The level of participation varies. Okay. So the mayor designates X number of people and who can come to the meetings is different. But we also specifically broke out into subgroups. Okay. So each but is subgroup, it always like 49 people? I don't think so. That's a lot to manage. Don't quote me on that. Okay. I'm not sure of the exact number. But we were charged with having two specific reports and Mm -hmm. deadlines for those reports. Sure. So we knew what we needed to be looking at. Mm -hmm. It was up to the commission to determine what topics we were going to look at. So the first report encompassed primarily 
school uh-huh. gun violence and security. Again, right. this was in the aftermath of Makes Santa sense. Fe, and of there course. was some yeah. demand from March for Our yeah. Lives for that. Of course. But we also looked at public health. Sure. Communities. The public safety was another subcommittee that I focused on, mm-hmm. given my experience both with uh, law enforcement inside and out. It, the Anti-Defamation League, we were the largest NGO trainer of law enforcement in the country doing implicit bias and hate crimes training. Okay. So I have some experience working very closely with law enforcement on certain issues. Yeah, um, That commission on gun violence... And the subcommittees, do they fall under the open meetings law or do they consider themselves exempt? We've never had an issue with that. Anybody that wants to come has never been turned away. I wouldn't know. That just issue hasn't been raised. Okay. I would I would defer to the city attorney on that. Mm-hmm. And what what would you say some of the solutions are that are coming about since Santa Fe? I mean, besides reports. The the focus was, from my understanding, to lobby based on the recommendations that we provided to the mayor's office, right? Because, again, the commission doesn't have the power to act on its own. We can provide information recommendations to the city. Sure. First, they were going to focus on the state legislature to try and get some of our recommendations passed at the state level now that the legislature has ended they're looking at what other things we can be doing. So public education campaigns. And I believe some billboards actually went up Okay. around gun safety and locking up your gun at home. Mm-hmm. So in Texas, child deaths at the hands of having access to a firearm mm-hmm. is, I believe, the second most leading cause of death for children. Wow. Educational campaigns are something that they are starting to do and that we should continue to do to make sure that parents are locking their guns up safely. Okay. Much more work to be done. We can't stop. And that's one of the reasons why I have pushed such a strong uh, part of my platform towards addressing gun violence, Mm -hmm. because I do think there are things that we need to do. And if the state preempts us on certain things that we know to be wrong, we should be challenging those. Sure. I don't care if we have to take it up to the Supreme Court. If the state is trying to tell a city that they can't close a gun show loophole, we need to challenge that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I guess if, if I'm listening to all the stuff we've talked about, and we've talked about a lot of stuff in the last little yeah. while, it, it seems like you're very, very, very pro-action rather than pro-planning. I would say both. I like to have all the information necessary to make a decision. So we're not going to quickly and rashly do something and be impulsive. Thank you. Before we do the research, I really believe getting all the heads to the table and understanding the different perspectives is really important mm-hmm. before. And that that's what leads you to be able to craft good policy that's going to make sense and that you can pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, a, a quick question that just occurred to me, you, you were talking about uh, getting equality legislation, sort of like hero <clears throat> uh, on the ballot. Why are you looking at saying it needs to go on the ballot? My understanding is because it was repealed from the ballot, 
it would need to be passed again. And if not, we want to make sure that it stays and it sticks and that it's enforceable. And that would be through a ballot measure. It's similar to in other cities, they've tried to do different things, not related to equal rights ordinances, but uh, wage, increasing the wage, right? Mm -hmm. That's being challenged in court when the city itself passes something rather than a voter referendum. I think voter referendums can be a powerful tool. Now, we need to look at the petition process. There's a bunch of issues with... Uh, ballot initiatives and the petition process to get on the ballot. But all of that aside, garnering public support for something, I think, is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, because the, the standard that was set with the initiative to repeal HERO was a very low standard on following the rules on the petition. So it, it's interesting. And the my understanding is the lower court judge in that actually invalidated most of the signatures. He did. Yes. However, the, the state Supreme Court voided that decision, which yes. was a travesty. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Anything else how, you have, can, how can people keep up with you? You can go to abbycayman.com. It's, I spell my name a little uniquely. It's A-B-B-I-E-K-A-M-I-N.com. All of our information's there. Our contact information is there. I'm reachable on social media via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We also have a campaign email, phone number, you name it. But all of our information is on the website. And for those locally listening, we actually have a neighborhood pet peeves page. And <laughs> residents love it. That's fun. They, they literally just tell us what their specific neighborhood issue is, Perfect. whether it's a trash bin that was stolen while they report it to 311 for whatever reason, they still haven't gotten it. We're elevating that to the right department and working with the current council member to get people the services that they need now. One of my mottos, I guess you can say, in terms of taking action and not waiting, is we're not waiting to get to City Hall. We're doing neighborhood office hours around the district twice a month because in City Hall, when we're serving, it's really hard for the average person to get off of work and come downtown. We need to make government more accessible. So yeah. we spotlight local businesses. We set up, literally, I have a desk and uh -huh. picture frame and my jar of pencils. And neighbors come to office hours and talk about their issues. It's how we're learning it's how we're crafting policy, and it's a great way to engage in the community. Yeah, I saw you did one of those at Memorial Park. My first question was, how do you? How do I find you? On the website, we're listing where the office hours are, as well as on Facebook and Twitter. So we're posting it ahead of time, a few weeks in advance. So I think the next one is going to be at Urban Eats off of Washington. Locally owned, great spot. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. This has uh, this is a lot of information for people to pull from near and far, and we really appreciate you coming in and taking time today and elaborating on the layers of systems because it, it could be overwhelming. And so it's nice to tease it out with somebody that is really uh, out there doing the work. Well, thank you all for all the work that you do and giving a voice in the trans community and beyond tackling a lot of the issues that are so relevant 
not just for our city, but for the world. So thank you for what you do. Yeah, you're welcome. And so now, now we we, we got to do our the, fundraising. Is this, so, the, is this the moment? <laughs> so yeah, so we absolutely 100% want to thank our Patreon patrons. Yes. Uh, the money you donate, whether it's a dollar or a whole lot more, whether it's a monthly donation or just a single one, is greatly appreciated. It lets us do the podcast. It lets us pay our writers on the Trans Advocate and a whole lot of other stuff. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and yep. just keep it up. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for rating the podcast. Thank you for. Uh, cheering Kristen along so that way she can get back here whatever it is that you do thank you and thanks for listening mm-hmm. bye bye if you're trans intersex or genderqueer and are a victim of a disaster we can help with our trans disaster relief fund and if you're going to college university or trade school you can apply for one of our scholarships Located in Houston, Texas, we hold weekly support group meetings and run the only community-owned transgender archive that's open to the public. If you'd like to learn more about any of this, just go to transadvocate.com. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Trans Advocate Podcast. We are a project of the Transgender Foundation of America a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Your support makes what we do possible. Resistance means nothing without supporting elected officials who won't attack trans, intersex, and queer children in our schools. They can't vote, so you're going to have to do it for them. If you live in the U.S. and are not registered to vote, we can help you with that at our site. Register and vote no matter what. The Trans Advocate Podcast was produced by Kristen Williams, all rights reserved. The Trans Advocate is a project of the Transgender Foundation of America, a 501c3 nonprofit. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Trans Advocate or the Transgender Foundation of America.